Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony on Concord Matters by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. Because it's not just a book, but the confession in this book is in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We conclude our confession of holy baptism with a, sh- a sort of review. This is the first time I've ever done this, so I'm really looking forward to going through the questions that arise when we confess what the Bible says of holy baptism. We've covered all four parts in the small catechism, uh, in actually pages 23 and 24 in Luther's small catechism, that it says it shows us what we learned that baptism was instituted by Christ. It is the water and the word. It works forgiveness of sins, is a life-giving water and a washing of new birth in the Holy Spirit and a daily dying and rising. Baptism just didn't happen in the past, but you are able to say today, I am baptized into Christ. So today we address the questions that come up. Because as you confess these things, someone will say, but, but what about this? And so today, like always, we make sure that these questions are not something that we make up an answer out of nowhere, but we let God's word speak and then we stop. So it should be an exciting ride as we open up your catechism, open up the scriptures and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ today, we welcome Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you a lot. I'm glad to be with you. Pastor, you started our study in the small catechism, what is baptism? And I would encourage our listeners to to listen to that study that we had because Pastor McFadden speaks more about his his background. Uh, you speak about uh, what is baptism, and and I remember the focus you had was on it is a gift. It is God's work, not our own. And so often uh, we hear that, and there's just questions that keep coming up all the time. And Pastor, you know what? I want to start this way: is uh, you probably had a lot of questions when you were becoming a Lutheran. What do you think what do you think is the most common question that came up with you as you looked at it looked at it with like new lenses if you will when you were looking at being a Lutheran? Probably the connection of baptism with salvation. Uh, is somebody saved when they're baptized? That's a good question because as we say, you know, uh, baptism now saves you. Still someone says, are you saying that someone's saved when they're baptized? And that's a question that I know our listeners have had. Um, people around you will say that. And we kind of fumble around that. We're like, well, you know, not really. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. It says that, but I'm not quite sure how that works. Pastor, how would you address someone that brought up that question that you had? Is someone actually saved when they are baptized? I think I would go to a number of the of the biblical passages that 
as a Baptist, I, I tried to whistle and move quickly past without looking at too carefully. Uh, mm. In Titus 3.5, uh, of course, throughout Titus 3, uh, all, actually throughout Titus, uh, Paul keeps saying this is a trustworthy saying. And here's one in chapter 3. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on out, out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there that term, washing of regeneration, is baptismal language. And then in uh, a passage like First Peter, and I know some of our translations uh, disguise it by sticking words in between baptism and saves, but the, the Greek reads, baptism now saves us. And there are other things it says about it, but it, it, it's very clear, baptism now saves us. And uh, those are passages that stand out. I think that in Mark 16, Luther certainly loved to go back to Mark 16 again and again. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And uh, the fact that in the Great Commission, uh, the Lord gave us baptism uh, as the entryway into the Christian experience. And he gave authority to his disciples to, as they were going, uh, to baptize all nations and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all things whatsoever he commanded them. So I, I would say that the New Testament is full of baptismal language. Ephesians speaks in baptismal terms too. And so the idea that baptism effects salvation, I think, is a, a bedrock biblical principle that sometimes uh, those in other traditions have to try to explain away because that's the that's the kind of the obvious, clear meaning of the text. I've heard that from various uh, people who grew up in a different confession of faith and what they had to do, which I well, I think I think our listeners would understand this. I know I understand this because because I've done it myself where you look at it and go, OK, baptism now saves you. But what is Peter really saying? <laughs> you know, OK, dying. I died in Christ and I rose to new life in baptism. But what what is Paul actually saying in that? And that's why as Lutherans, we try very we, we, we hold true to this. We let God's word speak where it speaks and where it doesn't speak. We don't we don't speak. And, and that one. This becomes very difficult, and I think it's simply like this. When I when I when I have a baptism, and, and for you as well, Pastor, that we we have this child that all it does is mess their diaper. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make any money for us, right? They they drain our bank account as opposed to make money for us. They they aren't able to walk. They don't do much. Yes, we celebrate them, and then you stand up there and you just take a little water. You say a few words. People take their pictures. And then a Lutheran pastor will say that now this child is saved. The light of Jesus is now in this child. You know, we light the candle and give it to the family and celebrate your baptism birthday. So it comes down to this. According to logic, this doesn't make any sense what we just said. So can a baby have faith? I think that's that's really what it comes down to for people is, okay, baptism gives us all these things. But that might be true for the adult, but not for a baby. So, you know, can a baby have faith? And, and is that what we're saying is happening here? Uh, in the 1900s, a lot of Lutherans influenced by the 18th century Enlightenment 
tried to run away from that. And there are there are some Lutheran books that people might look at where they actually speak in terms of uh, uh, faith that a person might later have. And that's really to speak of baptism in a very Reformed or Calvinist way, the idea that that baptism is sort of a setting a person aside to be part of the family of God in a in a in a prospective or proleptic way, and and then it only becomes real when they add faith to it later on. And that's not the way Scripture speaks. Uh, if you go back to John chapter three, where Jesus says, "You must be born from above," uh, there's there's meaning to the use of birth language. Uh, I don't know about you, uh, Brady, but uh, I did not choose to be born. I had mm. nothing to do with it. I didn't decide. <laughs> I didn't do a, a detailed contemplation of the pros and cons of birth versus non-birth and then say, okay, fine, mom, dad, let's get with it. That, that isn't the way it happened. Uh, the very fact that Jesus uses birth as the illustration emphasizes the fact that it isn't something that that comes out of our will. It's something produced by the Spirit. When Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were saved by grace through uh, and not by works, lest anyone should boast, and this a gift of God. The emphasis is that even our faith is a gift of God. Um, and and going back to, to 1 Peter 3, when, when uh, Peter says that... Uh, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, one day, you and I are going to stand before the Lord, and uh, the basis of my good conscience is not that I tried hard, or that God should grade on the curve, or that I was better than the average bear, or that I was a little bit, you know, I, I was sincere as best I could be. But that word pledge there is a legal claim or assurance, and it, it's an official confirmation. And what it's saying is baptism saves you. God washes away the sin through baptism, and our guarantee or our legal claim to have a clear conscience before God is not something we do or promise or decide. It's something God does for us, and it's his pledge. It's his promise based on the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul says in Romans, he was he was handed over for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. And so the the guarantee of a good conscience before God comes through uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are now baptized into his death and resurrection, as Paul says in Romans 6. So I I I I can you know I, I could go to examples of John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb, but ultimately Baptism is not about anything I decide. It's not an intellectual act, and so it's not something that depends on uh, having enough wherewithal to cognitively put it all together and to make a decision. Uh, it's not about that at all. One of the most common questions that arises, especially for those who are just kind of struggling with what does this mean to live out the faith I grew up in, commonly young people, where they will say, well, that doesn't seem very effective. You know, so you take a child, you baptize it, and then you say all those things happen, but it doesn't seem terribly effective because that family could just be, you know, coming in, get the child baptized and leave and 
doesn't really matter. You know, if they're older, then they can make that choice and then it's going to stick better. What would you what would you tell someone who asks those kind of questions? Well, I, I would I would distinguish the commencement and the consummation. It seems to me that baptism commences the life of faith. But uh, if I went out and I planted a uh, I planted some seeds uh, for in my garden, and if I didn't weed and if I didn't water. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily flourish. And unless the parents and the sponsors take their role seriously to raise the child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, yeah, it is possible that a person would become rather indifferent uh, to, their, to the grace of baptism. But we believe as Lutherans that baptism, you know, we would distinguish between valid and effective. And we would say that a baptism is valid if it's done in the triune name of the living God, whether it's effective or not, may be a different thing. And if a person uh, apostatizes or, or walks away from their faith, uh, indeed, it, it is possible that, that they could be, you know, sadly lost. But uh, when we avail ourselves the means of grace, it nurtures and it strengthens faith. It, it, it builds our faith. It encourages our faith. And uh, uh, I don't know that the fact, you know, when I was a Baptist, I baptized hundreds of people upon profession of faith, having made a decision on their part to, quote, accept Jesus into their heart. And I'll tell you, sadly, uh, since I've been around for a few decades, I know how some of those people turned out. And I can give you chapter and verse in the lives of people who walked away from their faith uh, that they supposedly decided to accept when they, quote, accepted Jesus into their hearts. So I don't think this is a Lutheran problem. It's it's a human problem. Uh, mm. The effect of sin is is such, and the old Adam is such, that, that, you know, there's a reason why Scripture exhorts us to keep nurturing faith so that it will grow and not uh, ignoring it so that it withers. And if I, I'll tell you this, I've, I've been in ministry long enough to know that if we're going to be looking at the effectiveness <laughs> of, for example, the proclamation, the the care of souls, the the work of baptism, uh, all of this, like Pastor made the distinction, valid and effective. If we're going to hang our hat on that effectiveness, when you have the old Adam in us, right? Uh, that needs daily contrition and repentance. We went through this last week with Pastor Matthew Moss. If we're going to try to find effectiveness through that, then we are always <laughs> going to be disappointed. Not to say that we don't do our do well or that we don't teach, but boy, if we start like trying to compare numbers, I mean, the longer you're in it, the the, the worse you're going to feel because your comfort is no longer founded on the meaning and the, the efficaciousness of God's work through baptism or through the word or through ministry in general. But, you know, if you're looking for effectiveness, oh, my goodness, it just leads you down a spiral that yeah. is just something terrible. So and, and that's, I don't and find that, that's part of the reason is, as Lutherans that we rather than locating assurance in something subjective, like how sincere were I or locating it in terms of, uh, well, how, what, how many good works have I produced? We locate it in the objective reality 
of what God promises and what God does. You know, if you want to do a mind experiment, uh, think about the problem of intellectual uh, capacity. A lot of people who argue for mm -hmm. believers' baptism will not only reject the baptism of infants, but they have a problem with people who might have Down syndrome or have some kind of cognitive impairment. And they often wrongly maintain that infants aren't guilty or accountable for sin and able to commit sinful acts, or that faith is a human decision that they can't make, or that baptism is primarily our promise to God rather than God's promise to us. None of those are true. Infants, according to Romans, uh, are born sinful, and and everyone born sinful is is consigned to death uh, eventually, and so infants are in need of salvation as much as anyone else. Uh, secondly, uh, it Scripture continually emphasizes that it is not our decision. Uh, some people say, well, infant baptism is the decision of the parents. No. Uh, it's not. It's not a human decision at all. It's God's decision, because He has bound Himself in a promise that is true. And when when a baptism occurs in the triune name of God, God donates Himself to us and gives Himself to us. And the Word is the Word will produce, uh, as we're reminded in the Old Testament, it will not return void. The Word will do its job. Now, whether somebody uh, continues in that faith or not is another issue, but the word does its job because it is God's promise, not our decision. So, Pastor, as we look at these questions, it, it, you, you've, you've already addressed it, and I want to just expand on this, is that people can get this impression that we are saying, uh, okay, kind of a once-saved always saved mindset. So they're baptized, we're good, therefore they don't need to do this or do that. The question I think that, that, that often comes up, you know, can someone who is baptized actually walk away from Christ? Or how would we speak about that? Because we can kind of assume, oh, they're baptized, they're good, as opposed to, wait, maybe, can they walk away? How would you address that question? Uh, unfortunately, yes, uh, it is possible uh, for a person uh, to walk away from Christ. Uh, uh, now, again, not everybody who goes through a period of rebellion uh, is going to uh, be lost, but it is possible to reject God's promises and die in unbelief, having abandoned your baptism. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, Luke 8, 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and at the time of testing, fall away. Or 1 Timothy 4, 1, now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So, you know, the, the Scripture's warnings are not there to terrify us, but to remind us of the danger so that, you know, it's like a sign near a cliff that says danger. Uh, the purpose is not uh, to produce paralysis. The purpose is to uh, lead us to make a change in course so we don't transgress the line and fall off the cliff. And so 
we we have passages that 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 remind us of assurance that that our salvation is not based on our works it's not based on anything we did it's based on the promise of god and we believe that uh sacraments are are words and words are sacraments that words are are uh that sacraments are a kind of word it, they bring the gospel to us coupled with either water or bread or wine and uh yet you know, yes, it is unfortunately possible for a person, we would say, to walk away from their baptism. And this goes back to what Jesus says, you know, in Mark 16, like you said, Luther is very clear on. And I want to hear what you have to say about this, too, because in uh, the small catechism, it references Mark 16, where it says very clearly, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, showing us that it appears that, okay, people can walk away from this. And other, you mentioned in 1 Corinthians as well, are there other scripture passages that we're able to clearly confess this right off, off the top of your head, I suppose? <laughs> those, would, those would be the main ones that I would, I would look at. And then Paul's warnings in his pastoral epistles about that, those who have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves. Uh, a number of those kinds of passages that remind us that uh, faith is meant to be nurtured, not abandoned. Uh, now that raises an interesting point we haven't gotten into yet, uh, Pastor Finneran, and that is, what if a person had a defective faith at the time of their baptism? Let's let's say we're not mm -hmm. looking at an infant, we're looking at, a, at an adult who professes faith and is instructed and then is baptized the way they would be in our Lutheran churches. What if that faith was defective? What if it was? A, what if they were hypocrites at the time of their baptism? Well, we would believe the baptism is valid, whether the person's faith was was real or not. And it would indeed be possible for a person to be a hypocrite at the time of their baptism, and then later uh, to look back on the promises God made in baptism. And in repentance and contrition, uh, you know, continue in the grace of God. So it is possible, you know, uh, yes, Luther said faith and baptism go together. Uh, uh, without faith, it's not a real baptism, uh, effective baptism. It's a valid baptism. But what makes baptism valid is it's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, applying the promise of God uh, to the element of the water. But whether it's effective or not, you know, does require faith. And if a person had an, if a valid baptism but a defective faith, that that can change later. And you wouldn't rebaptize the person. You would simply say that that the baptism was valid, and and now that they have combined it with faith, it's effective. And that kind of brings up this question. So we speak about, and I think that's very that's a great distinction for us to remember. It does bring up a question that I don't have on our list today, but I want to ask now to once again, keep you on your toes is someone would say, and I've heard people ask me this question. I'm not sure if I answered it very well. If someone says, okay, so it, it gives, uh, uh, gives life and salvation, rescues us from death, death and the devil, um, and, and forgives the sins. Okay. So this is good. It's valid if it's done in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. So why not get a plane with whatever they use when they are about to, you know, try to put out a fire in the mountains, take that plane, go over the city of, you know, Fort Wayne, uh, Sartell, Brainerd, where I work out of, 
and just start dousing people and say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If this is so good, this is such a great gift, why not do that? Pastor, what would you say? Well, I would say that would be an impious uh, or an impious uh, approach to baptism that was not baptism. Baptism is done in the baptism is principally done in the church there we have the ethiopian eunuch outside of a church but baptism is chiefly done in the church uh, during public worship as an uh, according to the uh, instruction and and uh, words of ins- uh, the words of christ uh, i would say that saying it over a whole city and spraying them with a hose would not be a baptism it's not magic we don't believe that it it's magic that works by working we believe that the Spirit uh, binds himself to the promise of the Word uh, in the water and effects that uh, supernatural regeneration of making someone born again uh, through the agency of the water, but not in a magical way. And I would say that partakes of magic. That's, that, is a, that, that is a good answer. And, and one of the realities that we have this goes back to our effectiveness talk is i spoke in norway this would have been 2015 they had a luther study days and in norway you know it was a tradition and probably until the 70s and 80s that everyone got baptized because everyone was a lutheran i mean it was just kind of a way it was it's a state church and you just kind of naturally went and got baptized and at one time i believe in the 80s you basically had 90 Five, 96% of the people baptized by the Church of Norway. And people were grieving that so many people had abandoned biblical teaching. That so These are the baptized. Mm-hmm. And yet they have abandoned biblical teaching, let alone not going to church, but doing anti-scriptural things and believing anti-scriptural things in anti-the church. And that's something where as we look at this, it is, is very important for us to not look once again at the results, um, but for us to find that gift and to preach and teach faithfully. Pastor, with about a minute before our break, would you like to respond to that of, I know, just the grief and the and the, the soul, um, the conscience, the searing of the conscience in that kind of scenario, which is not that much different than America? It really isn't. And uh, whether we baptize infants or whether we baptize uh, people upon profession of faith, the, the record of professing Christians accepting manifestly unbiblical ideas is shocking. Uh, you can see some of the uh, Christian entertainers uh, at the end of 2022. One of the most famous Christian entertainers uh, announced that she was hosting uh, a uh, gay wedding for a niece. And those kinds of things happen uh, professing Christian people, even those who are more active in church than some of your Norway folk uh, were apparently, uh, they, 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 they have wandered from the truth of Scripture. They've wandered from the truth of the, of the confessions and the creeds and the doctrine we hold. And it is, it is grievous. And it grieves me greatly whenever I see a professing Christian who wanders from the, the church or from the teaching of the, of, the, of the Scripture. We are addressing all the questions that arise concerning the biblical teaching of baptism, and we will be right back.
Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. We are studying what God's Word has to say about baptism and addressing the common questions that people ask when we teach the truths of Scripture in holy baptism with Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor, we've gone through a few of the questions, and part of it brings us back to, once again, Scripture. Because if, if baptism is about what we see, the results we will forever be lost because you're just gonna keep baptizing until it sticks. Um, but uh, pastor, it, it does bring up a lot of questions. So here's the gifts, forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. I, I love using that. I remember our confirmands memorizing this. It is such a gift and it brings up the next question, which is what happens to a person, infant or adult, who dies before they're baptized? What what do we what do we do with that? How would you answer that question for those who are probably those who are grieving the loss of a loved one? Well, I think it's particularly poignant in the case of people who have uh, lost a child in infancy that was not baptized, or even uh, as is often the case, people who suffer miscarriages and they wonder about this. Um, Lutherans teach that baptism is necessary for salvation, but we also say it's not absolutely necessary for salvation. We would differentiate um, unbelief uh, from the uh, circumstantial inability to be baptized. Only unbelief condemns. Before the institution of baptism in the Old Testament, uh, believers were saved by faith in the promise of Christ. And those who believe the gospel and die before baptism aren't condemned. Uh, they've been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, 1 Peter 1.23. Uh, so I would say that there's a difference between the sin of unbelief and the circumstantial inability to be baptized. And, uh, you know, the thief on the cross is often thrown at us by the Baptists who say he wasn't baptized, but he was saved. And so I trust to the mercy of God, the, the, the handling of those who are part of, of Christian families and who are unable to receive baptism. And I would, I would say that it is, it is unbelief that brings condemnation, not, not a circumstance that prevents baptism which is not to say baptism isn't important, which is why we have emergency baptisms and, and uh, our, our various uh, uh, doctrinal statements and books often include an emergency baptism ritual in the back so that if a, if a layperson happens to be in a hospital and a baby is born and fighting for its life, we'll do the baptism because we want to do all things decently and in order. And scripture says uh, to baptize all people. And if a baby's born, uh, we want to baptize that baby. We don't want to uh, let the baby go unbaptized, but we don't necessarily believe 
that a, a failure to be able to get to it is the same as unbelief. It, it is, it is, and that, that can be difficult <laughs> as a pastor because someone will come to you and it's just clear that they want to come in, get a baptism and leave. And, yeah. and so yeah. you, you try to lay it out and say, okay, we want to be able to teach with this. This is, goes back to Matthew 28. Uh, we want to be able to teach all that he has commanded us when a person gets baptized. And even when we do that, there's times where like, oh, I'm not sure if they're actually going to teach the faith or you have godparents standing up, um, all of this. And, it be, and, and, and I just I ask for you, our listeners, and for you who are pastors, to we, we pray for one another for patience as we go through this, because too often we try to become, I guess you say, fruit inspectors <laughs> of, of, you know, the intentions. That was the term of, I was going to use. <laughs> oh, it was. See, we're on the same same uh, we're on the same page here or baptismal investigators or something along those lines that we try to like determine, okay, this will bear much fruit and this won't. Well, at the same time, we are concerned when when somebody, for example, um, wants to have their child baptized, but it's clear that it's this grandma who's pushing for it, you know, and they're traveling from Florida up to Minnesota and they want the child baptized and there's no intention of being part of the church. I mean, it, it creates a lot of very difficult conversations. And that's where we do leave it in pastoral discretion that there might be times where someone says, I don't believe anything happens here, but I still want my child baptized. And you're like, well, we're going to have to talk a little bit longer. You're not necessarily saying no, but you are saying we need to be on the same page before we baptize. And this isn't really a, a common question that comes up, but this is a good practical question. Pastor, do you have any uh, words of encouragement or words of, of, of wisdom when these kind of situations arise? Not beyond what you've already said. Obviously, yeah. you want to do uh, your due diligence in instructing the prospective parents, uh, the, the prospective baptizees uh, family and sponsors about the obligations and the implications that go with baptism. Uh, ultimately, we can't and we shouldn't be the determiner. We we try to be diligent and and to not engage in frivolous baptism, like you're spraying people with a hose and, and pronouncing the words. We try to uh, be faithful in instructing. And ultimately, we're not the ones who know their hearts. Even the ones who seem quite serious about their faith uh, can themselves fall away later and uh, not follow through on any of the instruction of their children. So I don't think we are in a position to know and we have to, uh, before the Lord, uh, with a clear conscience, do the best we can to do the things that we think will be helpful and then leave it to the work of the Holy Spirit and the, and the application the parents make of, of that in the life of the child. I've heard, I've heard pastors say, and this is just good for us to always remember, that when all those questions arise, one, we pray for wisdom, but two, we go back to what baptism actually is, <laughs> which is why even today, as we're going through all these questions, it brings up more like, well, that makes sense. You know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't baptize that child or, well, that makes sense. We should just baptize, you know, whoever wants to be baptized and, yeah. and all these other questions uh, that, that arise for people. But going back to the very basics, who instituted baptism? 
What are the benefits of baptism? What is baptism? And what is what does it indicate, you know, the dying and rising in Christ on a daily basis? All this, go back to the scriptures, go back to all of that and understand what the gift is. And we can hang our head on that because as pastor said so well, if we hang our head on what we've done or our effectiveness, then we have, well, our conscience will never be clear um, the rest of our lives. So Lord, help us to find our comfort in God's word. And so pastor, the next question arises often where someone will say, so, okay, you're a Lutheran. You say that we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone. And, and so you are like, not by, not by work so that any man may boast Ephesians two, eight, and nine. That's what you say. It's good stuff. Right. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we, we, we believe that. But isn't baptism a work because you're doing the work and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you're saying if you don't get baptized, you don't receive this gift. And it's it's a work. Pastor, what would you say? Is baptism a work? Well, certainly baptism is a work uh, for a lot of our fellow Christians who aren't Lutherans. And that is part of the problem because they would also give lip service to we are saved uh, by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But then they have a view of baptism that says it's basically something I do to demonstrate my seriousness. It's the first, uh, as I used to say as a Baptist pastor, it's the first act of obedience of the Christian to prove uh, to the world and to Christ that I was serious about uh, my commitment to him. And that does make it into a work. And I think for them, it's awful hard to evade the fact that it's a work when you when you separate it from what what some call sacramental realism. We we don't believe the way the uh, some people do that it's merely a symbol, and we don't believe the way some of our reform friends who are a little bit more serious about it do and say it's spiritual. It's a spiritual uh, uh, act. We take it very realistically. It really does affect salvation. And because of that, we would say that the baptism of a baby is the greatest proof of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because the baby isn't old enough to make a decision. The baby isn't old enough to um, to cognitively process and come to a point of making a credible profession of faith, which is what most Baptists require. They say you have to use enough words that you convince the pastor you have a credible profession of faith. The baby can't do any of that. And we would say it's a work of God, the Holy Spirit, using the water. And, uh, you know, it's when you make it into merely a religious ceremony that I think you run the risk of, of, of that works thing. Um, in fact, in the, in, in the large catechism, Luther said it's not a work. It's a treasure included in the word. It's offered to us and received by faith. And... Uh, the whole idea, I am baptized, not I, I, I decided to be baptized, but I am baptized. I have been baptized. God promises that because I have been washed with water, he has forgiven and saved me, and I can trust it. That all emphasizes that it's not a work of, me, of my own. It's, it's indeed a work of God who effects forgiveness of sins and eternal life forever. And it's not something done by, as Luther said in the large catechism again, to be baptized in God's name is to be baptized not by men, but by God himself. Therefore, although it's performed by human hands, it's still truly and only God's work. 
and he puts his saving name on us in baptism. And uh, that is the opposite of, of something that we do of works. I do remember when I was on Vicarage in Kansas, we went to downtown, I think it's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's downtown Lawrence, Kansas for like a Friday night with my, uh, my bride. And, and we're just kind of hanging out and she's doing one thing. And I was standing there, very popular college street. And a couple of uh, good Baptist believers came and started, you know, kind of got the, uh, the microphone out and started preaching and just telling people about sin and grace and all this. And a guy came up to me and talked to me and he said, how do you know that you're saved? And of course, me being a pious vicar, you know, <laughs> I said, well, because I'm baptized into Christ. And he goes, oh, do you, you know, now you know that baptism doesn't save you. And of course, I quoted First Peter chapter three and went through all of this. But he's like, no, no, that's a work. You know, this is this is all about your, your works. And I, I was just kind of wanted to go shop and not engage this discussion any further. But it is amazing to me how sometimes we let the the, the noisiness yeah. of what someone will say trump the truth of what Scripture says. Because you say, no, 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 it doesn't save you. What about First Peter chapter 3? No, 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 let me tell you again, it doesn't save you. Like, wait, what, what, what do you do with this? And so it's a reminder that when we speak about baptism being a work, I mean, are, are you going to say that Holy Communion is a work too because you put your hand out? Yeah. Um, you know, is is uh, forgiveness of sins uh, a work because you confessed your sins? Uh, you know, what? how far do you go into this? And we try to like figure out that, okay, well, that's a work because he did this or he didn't do that, where we forget about the point is, this is what God does to me. You know, let's stop focusing on my hand or the pastor's hand or the shell or whatever it is he used to put the water in the head. And let's see what's actually happening here, yeah. which is God's grace that comes upon us that we can see, that we can touch, um, that we, you know, different ways, smell and taste and, and everything else. So this is what God is doing through these means. And it and, there any any thoughts. Yeah. That? And and it the whole point, uh, ultimately, uh, as an ex evangelical American evangelical, I daily am surprised at Lutherans who become bored with their faith and bored with the sacraments, because in my mind, this is liberation. This is freedom. To understand the sacraments the way scripture teach them is to experience a remarkable freedom. Uh, this morning before we had our conversation, uh, one of my grandsons and I were going to uh, the local uh, hardware store to get some things to, uh, for the house. And he said, Grandpa, what's the difference between my church and your Lutheran church? What, what do you believe differently? And we got talking mm. about baptism. And I said to him, I said, Judah, sometimes in the tradition you're in, it's easy for people to either, when they're having doubts, he says, oh, yeah, I have doubts a lot, Grandpa. He's a 10-year-old. He says, I have a lot of doubts, Grandpa. And I said, well, it's easy when people have doubts to either look at the things they do and try to become proud of them that they've done something for God, or they look inward and they try to dissect how sincere they were when they said they loved Jesus and they believed in him. And the Bible teaches that the human heart is exceedingly wicked above all things. And I can't trust 
my good works. I can't trust my sincerity. I want something more solid to put my faith on. And in my church, we say that because God made a promise to me in my baptism, I can, I can, I can trust it. And I can trust it when I'm feeling depressed. I can trust it when I'm feeling doubtful. I can trust it when I'm doubting that there is a, there is a truth that is real to what God promises and what God does that goes way beyond anything that I might feel or think. And that I think is, is maybe the, the best thing I like about being a Lutheran is that my faith is in something that is real outside myself, not something that I have to look inward to find. And this is where I encourage you, our listeners, once again, to speak not as a club <laughs> towards, for example, your own grandchild, um, that, that you just let God's word speak to say, you know what it says? Baptism now saves you. And, and, and to speak about that I, in Colossians 1 and in Romans 6, that I have died and risen in Christ. I mean, it, baptism is never separated from Christ. That we're our focus is always, you know, we want to everything is in Christ. Pastor Moss last week just spoke about because I asked him about references to scripture, especially when it speaks to, you know, how can water do such great things? And we went through all the passages that Pastor has gone through today. And then he just spoke about, you know, really when we look at scripture, whenever it is pointing in Christ or to Christ, that baptism is right there. You know, we don't separate the gospel from baptism. We don't separate the baptism from the gospel or baptism from uh, Christ himself. And, and so the conversation will always need to go back to Jesus or else we have totally lost why God has brought it to us in the first place. Absolutely. So, um, Pastor, I, here's one that was not on our list, but I just want to make sure because people will uh, in different denominations will say, well, if you were baptized as a baby, well, then you need to be rebaptized. Now, we as Lutherans would say, no, you don't. <laughs> Assuming that it is a, a baptism with water and the, the triune name of God. And, and Pastor, why would we be so adamant that you don't need to be rebaptized? What would you say? Well, you have a lot of statements about one baptism. You have statements about the fact that baptism is done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's uh, I agree with uh, Professor Scare at our seminary here in Fort Wayne that to rebaptize is to commit blasphemy mm -hmm. because you're denying the name of God, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. His name was pronounced over you. He laid claim to you in your baptism. And for us to say that somehow I got to do something to juice that up and put a little more octane in the engine to make it work, uh, is a horrible thing to say about God. If it's God's work, and then I say it has to be repeated, then I'm saying God didn't do a very good job the last time. Now, that that's not to say that all baptisms are valid. Uh, we would say that where Christ's words and command are denied, changed, or ignored, it's it's not recognized as Christ's work. So there, it's becoming popular in some of the, the more progressive denominations that instead of saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they'll say Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, or uh, uh, Father and Mother, uh, Child, uh, things like that. And it is possible 
that you can deviate from the the words of institution, not only literally, but also in the meaning by your doctrine, that we would say that's not really a, a baptism administered according to Christ's institution in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and we would say in that case, it might need, it wasn't a valid baptism, therefore we have to have a baptism. But one of the things that that our Lutheran churches are unanimous about is that if a person comes from a tradition where they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with any amount of water, we accept that as a valid baptism. And so I would say it it would be, you know, baptism in the in some of the non-denominational traditions, because it's merely a sign and it's my work, it's my it's my vote of confidence in God. Uh, if I go through a period of, of what they would call backsliding or recidivism or or living uh, a, a, apart from the church, and then I I come back to the church and rekindle my my uh, commitment to the Lord, they'll say, "Well, I need to be rebaptized to kind of show God again. I really mean it this time." Sort of like the addict who keeps saying, "I'll never I'll never do it again." Really, really. Believe me, this time I won't do it again, and that's not the meaning of baptism. Baptism is not about a measure; it's not taking the the measure of my sincerity. It's it's the work of God in my life that is about Him, not about me, and I can trust Him to do it right the first time. Let's go back even further into simplicity. Someone wants to be baptized. What is needed? for a valid baptism? Um, are we talking about an infant? Are we talking about a, a, a adult? Mm. Well, let's go with either one. Go for it. Okay. Um, <laughs> typically, if a person uh, hears the word in the sermon and the Holy Spirit kindles faith in that person, they present themselves and say, I, uh, I believe what's next and we instruct that person about the meaning of baptism, and then we baptize them. If it's an infant, uh, uh, and the parents bring the child and say, we would like to have our child baptized, we, we have water, and we have the promise of God, the gospel, the word of the gospel that is contained in the, uh, in the words of institution, and we, we speak the words in the, tr- in the name of the triune God, and apply the water to the child, and that is that is what is, makes it a valid baptism. So let's just give you a scenario. Usually, oh, Conferman's bringing scenarios up. I love it. We're in the desert, middle desert, no water. My friend with me in the middle of the desert. Who knows why I'm there at that time in this particular case? And there's no water, and they tell me, Brady, I want to be baptized into Christ. What do you do in that scenario? It is a crisis. Pastor, what will we do? There, there's no water. There, there is the word, but there's no water. What will you do in that scenario? Uh, I'll cheat. <laughs> I'd spit into my hand. Uh, it, I love it. It, it. Again, we believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, but we don't believe it's absolutely necessary. Uh, it is possible for a person who intends to be baptized and might be en route to church to be baptized, to be struck by lightning uh, in an automobile accident and killed or whatever. And so we, we are not condemning to eternal damnation 
all who have not been baptized. But we're saying that baptism is a means of grace, which is a necessary means of grace that we that we are instructed to use and which scripture promises that when we use, it brings life and all the benefits that you articulated. So in an, in an emergency situation like that, I'd probably spit into my hand. But again, the point is, if there truly, truly was no water, you cannot use water to baptize someone. But you do have the word. And the word, do have the word. The word is the same. The word is what saves. As he, as Lutheran, for Luther, words are sacraments and sacraments are a kind of word. The difference between the sermon and the sacrament is the latter is applied to the individual who directly receives it. Uh, somebody asked Luther, uh, why do we need sacraments if we've got the preaching of the word? And in, in I think it was like 1526 or something when he was writing against fanatics, he said, well, you know, when I preach Christ's death in a sermon to a congregation, you know, I, I'm addressing myself to the whole body and who grasp it, grasp it. But, you know, when I put the wafer in the mouth and say, this is Christ's body, which was given for you. This is the blood of Christ. This is the, the blood of the New Testament for you. I'm, I'm applying it individually and directly to the person. And so where the word of, of grace and freedom and gospel come in the sermon to everybody, the sacrament individualizes it, and it applies it to just that one person who is receiving it. And uh, God, as Luther said in his small call to articles, God is incredibly generous, and he gives us a multitude of ways of, of receiving forgiveness and grace. Pastor, with about three minutes left in our time, what would you tell, uh, what do you tell uh, a person who maybe gets baptized or a parent or godparents who have their child baptized? Okay, the child's baptized and they say, now what do I do? What would you tell them? Well, I tell them to do what uh, Paul exhorts Christians to do in Ephesians and Colossians and to be diligent in uh, uh, bringing that child to, ch to church, to uh, hear the word proclaimed, uh, to receive the means of, of grace uh, in the Lord's Supper, uh, to be taught about uh, what does it mean to live each day repented before the Lord. <clears throat> See, for, for the, for the non-denominationalists or the Baptists, baptism is a one-off. It's a historical event. It happened, and it has no significance or meaning beyond the day it occurred. For, for us, uh, justification isn't a one-off. Uh, we, we receive forgiveness every single day. We come to the Lord every day uh, and drown the old Adam and, and experience the, the resurrection of, of, of the, new, the new man within us. And we, we continue to view our baptism not as something that's a historical fact in the past, but it's something that it, it, it guides our thinking in the present, even such that if we were uh, feeling despairing or depressed or discouraged or doubtful, we look back to our baptism. You know, Luther always said, "I, you know, return to your baptism," and uh, the very idea of confession and absolution, uh, Luther saw that as an aspect of baptism. the The daily receiving of grace when the pastor says that in the stead of of Jesus Christ and by His authority, He's He's forgiving us our sins. That is that is a return to our baptism. So, 
you know, baptism can, you know, is, is the essence of the Christian life, really. It's, it's the, it, if you want, what is the Christian life in miniature? It's baptism because baptism describes everything a Christian does from the time of baptism to the time of, of entry into the father's house in glory. Uh, baptism is, is our constant reminder and, and, and ever present reality as a Christian. Pastor Dennis McFadden, McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, clearly confessing the truth of holy baptism and addressing these questions. If you have other questions you want to ask, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, and maybe we'll have Pastor McFadden on once again. Pastor McFadden, thank you for your faithful teaching on Concord Matters. Thank you so much, Pastor Finneran. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finneran. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.